Are you ready for God's word? Yes. Amen. Amen. I just want to celebrate with our youth uh, ministry. It was amazing. We had the largest crowd ever, but more than that, it, it, it was an answer to prayer. You know, I always like to say, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's God's purpose that prevails. I had this plan of how we were going to do the invitation. Raquel preached, Pastor Raquel preached an amazing message to, to your students. And then uh, I brought the invitation. I thought, well, we're going to do it this way. There was such an overwhelming response. And, and I'm not talking about a half-hearted response. Well, my friend is raising his hand, or they're standing up, so I'll do the same. No, it was a heartfelt, just, you know, hand up in the air, rise to your feet with excitement. I said, okay, well, I guess our plan goes out the window because this is like more than we can handle now. And uh, God is good, amen? God is so good. Listen, we are in the, at the beginning of a sermon series that we started last week entitled King Jesus. This is our resurrection Sunday service. Uh, theme, okay? Now, I want to ask you to invite someone to God's house. Invite someone to hear the life, the life-giving message of the gospel. Do you know someone that could be blessed by the gospel? What is the gospel? The gospel's good news. What is good news? That Jesus Christ came to offer us eternal life. That's pretty good news, isn't it? And so, Share good news. I want you to look to the side of you. If there's an empty space, I want you to dedicate time to pray for that. You're going to see how prayer is effective as we get started. But King Jesus uh, started last week with the revival. This week, we turn our attention to humble king. Humble king. We will cover five different attributes of Christ's life. And uh, starts with humble king, human king, savior king, divine king, and we'll end with king of kings. King of kings. We're headed towards Resurrection Sunday, amen? And so I, I'd love for you to just start building momentum with us, amen? Build momentum as you invite your friends and family. Now, humble king, what does it mean that Jesus was humble? Oh, pastor, you talked about humility last week. Are we going to have a repeat of last week? Well, I don't know about that. That, that depends on you. Uh, if you need a repeat, I guess the Holy Spirit will, will, will give you a repeat. But I will say this, that when I think of humility, I also think of pride. Isn't that kind of the flip side of it? And a lot of times when you think of a word, you think of the synonym of that word or maybe an antonym. Something that's opposite of that. And so to me, pride is the opposite of humility. And when I think of pride, I always think of a fall. Right? Pride comes before the fall is what we've been taught. Now that's not exactly what the verse says, but that's how we remember it. Because the Bible is pretty clear that if you humble yourself, God will lift you up. But if you, if you what, get pride or proud in yourself... Then, then he will make sure you are humbled. And that happened to me. Has it ever happened to you? You ever been proud? I can remember when I first started skiing a few years ago, 
at the age of 40, I won't tell you what age, but I was in the mid-40s, and I started skiing, and I thought, this is difficult, and this is, this is serious for me because I've never really encountered a, a sport that I was, like, not okay at. I'm not saying I'm great, but I've always been able to be fairly athletic where I can do most things. But skiing was tough. And maybe it's because I kept looking at these little two-year-olds. <laughs> what kind of parent puts their two-year-old on skis? I kept thinking, definitely not a Hispanic parent. We're too, we're too scared to see our kids do that kind of No, amigo, se va. No, you know what I'm talking about. Se, se va lastimar. He's going to get hurt. He's going to this. He's going to that. You know, we bundle them all up. But anyway, these little guys are zipping by. So finally, I started getting a little confidence, and I realized, you know what, I, I think I can maybe keep up with him a little bit. And then I said, no, nah, uh-uh, this kid's not going to pass me. Mm. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I said, no, nah, I've got this guy. I've got this little dude. So I started. And then finally, they said, sir, you've graduated from the bunny slope. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm already graduated from the bunny slope, but I'm going, right? And then I started getting more and more confidence. And how many of you know confidence sometimes is another word for just plain old? Now, I know that the Bible says that confidence is faith, and that's what I thought I had. Faith. But somehow it crossed over into pride because this year I said, this is going to be my best year yet. And boy, I got on those slopes and I hadn't fallen once. All day long, I hadn't fallen. I look over at honey, I said, it's time to go bigger. Let's go that, down that one where you and your cousin like to go. And, and my daughter says to me, what did she say? Dad, I don't think you should do it. And as soon as she said that, what happens, fathers? I'm doing it. Oh, I'm doing it. And boy, I started taking off, and I left, honey, and I left Evie, and uh, I'm going down this slope, and I'm going super fast, and I'm going, oh, yeah, and I pass this one guy, and I pass another guy, and I'm going, man, I, my knees feel good, everything feels good, until it didn't. <laughs> and before long, without knowing what happened, I'm going head over feet, feet over head. I finally come to a crashing halt. My stuff is littered everywhere. And the lady I passed comes and goes, Shh, are you okay? <laughs> she just kept going. Can I tell you pride comes before a fall? That when you get built up, you're, you're trying to rely on yourself, and sometimes we forget that we're not all that. We have a way of getting overconfident. We have a way of thinking that we're better than we are. We have a way of relying on ourselves. And you know what's so crazy about this story? I got up and I said, I'm going to do it again. Because I don't think I'll fall twice. I've got this. Do you realize I failed in the exact same spot? The exact same way in the hole I created with my first fall. Boom! My skis hit. I said, who in the world put a hole right here? You did. Can I tell you? 
That's what it means to be human. We tend to, to think we're better than we are. We try to push the limits. We try to, and, and we forget to rely on God. You say, what do you mean you, we forget? I mean, I want you to think about the children of Israel. Um, how many times would they forget and they'd get overconfident and they'd say, God, we've got it from here. And they take off only to find themselves in real trouble and screaming, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> he should have been at the wheel. Amen. And so we get going this way, and, and, and I look at the children of Israel sometimes, and I say, how dumb can you be? Only to realize that I fell twice in the same spot on the same day because I had too much pride. I forget. And I want you to remember something about Jesus' life as we consider him being a humble king I want you to remember that he was a man of prayer. He showed us how to pray. Now, I want you to think about this with me for a second. Here you have the king of glory that can do all things, who speaks and stars leap into existence, that can create something out of nothing, and yet he prayed. Now, I want you to ask yourself something else. If the king of all glory, my creator and the savior of the world, prayed, why don't I? Why don't I? Could it be that it's pride? Could it be that we get over, overconfident and, and we rely on our own strength and we think that we can do it only to find ourselves tumbling down the hill of life? Only to find ourselves broke, busted, and disgusted with stuff littered everywhere and still refusing help when somebody comes by? I should have at least said, can you grab me my... <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is Jesus prayed because he understood that pride was the biggest sin that attacks the human race. And in his humility, he was showing us how to do this thing called life, to be reliant on a heavenly father, not sometimes, not on occasion, but every single moment of every day. That's why the Bible says, practice prayer and make it something you do consistently, without ceasing, every day. Let it be more important than the air you breathe. Let prayer be what characterizes your life. And I know, I thought at least I'd get more amens on that one. Because you talk about prayer in church and people be like, preach it, pastor. Amen. The truth is, we talk a lot about prayer in the American church. But if only we'd pray more. You know what, though, guys? I'm proud of us. Because this church is becoming a praying church. You realize that there is some way, shape, or form prayer happening on this campus at least three times a week. And I'm not talking about 15 minutes. I'm talking about an hour or more, three times a week. On Tuesday, we pray for almost two hours. I don't say that to impress you, but to impress upon you, there is a hunger and a thirst for prayer. 
At first it was just an hour, and then it went to an hour and a half. Now it's almost up to two hours. People are getting here earlier and earlier. And before it was just one or two at the altar. Now it's 20 on Wednesday nights. Uh, on Tuesday nights, it's up to 30 at times. On, on, uh, on Wednesday nights, it's above 50 at times. It's a beautiful thing. And we're, we're doing prayer, and prayer is important. If you don't believe me, Let's read some verses and see if it was important to Jesus. The Bible says, so he himself often withdrew. What does the word often mean? He did it all the time. It was a, it was a habit for him. Watch. He often withdrew into the wilderness. In the NIV it says to lonely places. It means he got alone with God. He said, Lord, I need some one-on-one time. Come on, if you want a great marriage, you got to have some one-on-one time with your spouse. If you want a great Christian life, you need one-on-one time with God. Watch what else the Bible says. Not only did Jesus do it continuously, but it's your right as a Christian. It's your greatest gift. It's the way you access God's love. What is God's love if not mercy and grace? What is mercy? Not giving you what you deserve. Oh, I deserve to go tumbling down the hill of life, right? But Lord, by your mercy, you keep me upright. How about the things I don't deserve and he gives them to me? That's grace. See, mercy is what, uh, not, not getting what I do deserve, Grace is getting what I don't deserve. See, let me put it to you another way. Mercy is not getting hell. Grace is getting heaven. That's the way it works. And that's what prayer steps us into. This powerful, this powerful love of God. Watch. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So prayer is for our needs. Come on, how many, how many of us have needs today? If you have a need in your life of any kind, big or small, raise your hand. Can I encourage you to pray? It's your right. It's your greatest gift as a Christian to come before the King of glory. Let's keep going. Do you realize that Jesus prayed at his baptism? He prayed on all occasions. He prayed at his baptism. Look with me at Luke 3. Luke 3, 21 and 22. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. That's a powerful principle. Prayer opens the heaven. You know, people talk about an open heaven, a closed heaven. What they're meaning is that It opens up the favor and blessing of God upon your life. That's what it means. You know, right as COVID was rolling in, we had a service outside because we we stayed closed but but for a couple of weeks and then we moved outside. And and in that first service, I still remember what I said. I said, um, hey guys, I sense that we as America, we've been operating under an open heaven. That means we've been operating under under a blessing of God for so many years, but I sense that heaven closing as the dark clouds are moving in. See that, and dark clouds mean deception. 
mean all kinds of nonsense that's going to be unleashed. And you go, well, pastor, what can we do to open the heavens back up? Come on, say it with me. Pray. You pray, you go, oh, pastor, come on, can one man open the heavens of a nation? I don't know about that, but I know you can open your little piece of heaven. How about you open up your window of heaven? How about you pray for your, how about you look to your spouse and say, I open up mine, you open up yours. And then we go down the row and a church opens up the cities, have open, opens up the city to God's blessing. And then it goes from one city to another city until it reaches a nation. Do you hear what I'm saying? Revival starts one prayer at a time. One person deciding, you know, what prayer makes a difference. Not only that, but read 22 with me. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And the voice of God from heaven, which said, you are my son. In you, I am well pleased. Do you know what the Bible is saying here? Not only does heaven open up, but the Holy Spirit begins to empower you and you hear God's word. You hear God's voice. God will speak to you through prayer. He will listen to you. It's a conversation with him. Not only that, but Jesus prayed before the feeding of the 5,000 and he prayed before the feeding of the 4,000. Let's read one of those accounts. In Luke Chapter 9, you have the feeding of the 5,000, and he, it says this in verse 16. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. You go, know, Pastor, that's so, that's so elementary. So he just looked up to heaven, and, and, and he prayed. This is, this is paramount to a Christian. You know why it's paramount? You know why it's so important because watch what Jesus is doing right before that he told his disciples you say they're hungry feed them what did the disciples do how why because as humans we have physical eyes and we get caught up looking in the physical at what we can do and Jesus was trying to show them there's something beyond what you can do. How did the five loaves and the two fish come to be? The disciples go, okay, how much do we have in the physical? We got one happy meal. Here, Lord, that's all we got. Now watch what the word says. Looking up to See the principle? The principle is stop looking at your situation alone. Stop looking at your circumstance alone. Stop relying on what you have. Stop thinking about what you can affect and start looking to God and saying, Father in heaven, I give you thanks because, oh, come on, because I'm not limited to just what I have in front of me. You have a lot more in store. I ask you to open up heaven, God, and pour out a blessing upon me, God. Not only that, but at the moment of his transfiguration in Luke 9, you see as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. Are you saying that we can, we can change things? That's exactly what I'm saying. Now, I do realize that the transfiguration was a very special moment. And I'm not saying that you'll be transfigured and have 
uh, uh, be seen in your heavenly body, but what I am saying is that when you pray, there will be a holy peace and a joy come upon you and people will see a difference. People will see a difference. Come on, how many of us today walk around way more stressed than we have to be? And prayer brings us into that place of peace. When you see someone in peace and joy and gentleness, don't you say to yourself, there's something different about that guy. Something different about that gal. I don't know what it is, but I like it. This is what prayer does for you. Watch this. Before he chose the 12 disciples, he prayed. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. What is this teaching us? It's teaching us that when you have a big decision to make, pray. Five minutes, pray all night if you have to. But pray. God will answer you. How about when... When Lazarus, his friend, had died, he prays at Lazarus' tomb. Read with me. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted his eyes up, right, and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Watch. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by I say this, or I said this. Who are the people standing by? Come on, who are the people standing by? Us! Yes, Mary and Martha and us. Aren't we standing by, so to speak, watching this unfold in God's word? Why did he say it? Because he wants you to know that God hears you. That when you pray, God hears you. So pray with confidence, not pride, confidence. That's faith. Lord, I know that you hear me. I know that you love me. I know that you open up heaven. I know that you'll answer me. I know that you'll guide me. I know that you'll empower me. Come on, does someone hear me on this? See, Jesus prayed at the end of his life. In John chapter 17, he knows he's about to depart. And he prays one of the most magnificent prayers. In fact, the entire chapter is dedicated to this prayer. It's called the high priest prayer. Do you realize that in this high priest prayer, he includes you? I'd encourage you to read the entire chapter, John 17. And I want to give you a gold nugget from that prayer. You want to hear this gold nugget? It has to do with the next point we're going into. The next point we're going into is the word of God. And specifically, Jesus being tempted. When you have a hard time and you feel like you're under fire from the enemy, you can pray a portion of this high priest prayer from Jesus. Not only can you pray it, you can stand on it and say, Lord, if you prayed this for me, then I believe it. And I repray it, Lord, as a declaration of what already is because if you said it, then your hand will perform it. Think about this with me for a second. The Bible says whatever you declare, your hand performs. So Lord, you declared, lead them not into temptation. He prays that in chapter 17. He also prays that very same phrase in the Lord's prayer. Lead them not into temptation, but Deliver them from evil. Deliver me from evil. So, Lord, I stand on your word, and I pray 
according to your prayers, Lord. Jesus prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane that the Father's will would be done. We can pray to be submissive to the Father. The truth is prayer is a hallmark of this church. For a year and a half, Pastor Melissa and I prayed for a calling. You heard that last week, and God answered. We prayed some six to eight years before we got this piece of property for this piece of property. I was sharing with a couple of people the other day that you guys know where Timberland Baptist Church is off of 21 going towards um, Page. Well, there's a church there. There was seven or 11 acres. I can't remember exactly, but the, but the Baptist uh, Association said, Pastor, you're a brand new church. We were within our first year. And, uh, and they said, we have some property that used to be a church we want to give you so that you can move your church there. And I went, drove over there, and I saw it. And I said, man, that's way out in Page. God hasn't called us to Page. God called us to this corner. I truly believed that in my heart. And I had prayed for this corner, so I said, great, we'll take it. They said, okay, good, you're, you're very excited. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, and we're going to buy some other property. <laughs> And they go, whoa, 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 time out. You can't do that. And so just politely, we finish the conversation with, find someone that's called to that area. But we're called to be right where the people of Bastrop are. And at that time, this was the busiest intersection. And I said, I want to be right where God has put the people so that we can be a lighthouse. And this is what, and this is what prayer does. We prayed for this property a short time later, six years later, he gave it to us in cash. We were able to purchase it. You said, did they lower the price? No, God raised the money. Yeah. Amen. All the cattle on a thousand hills are his. God is a good God. I'm trying to share that with you. Not only that, but every great awakening that this country has had started with prayer. Started with prayer. We talked about the great awakenings last week. Do you realize the second great awakening was marked by a man of prayer? You say, but the evangelist Charles Finney, he was the prayer warrior? You know, he prayed, but he couldn't do the prayer. He couldn't be praying while he was preaching. So he had a man that labored with him. Here's his tombstone. His name was Daniel Nash, pastor. He pastored from 1816 through 1822. How many years is that? How many? Six years, and he changed American history. How did he do it? He didn't preach a message. He prayed. He prayed while Pastor Finney preached. Pastor Finney was the Billy Graham of his time. But he understood, if I'm going to be effective in my preaching, I need someone that will war and open up heaven so that God's spirit can come down and affect the souls of men. Watch what it says. It says, labor with Finney, mighty in prayer. There's stories told of this great man of faith. But he would come into town and he would ask someone that God led him to. Remember, God's word says, find a home of peace. He would find a home of peace and he would say, I just need a little room that you can rent me. One time he was given a little room in the cellar. And in that basement, he just prayed, him and a couple other brothers, and they prayed for weeks before and all through the campaign that would sometimes last for weeks. 
And they would just pray and pray and pray. And God would move. Another time, a lady says to Mr. Finney when he got there, do you know a brother Nash? He says, Daniel? Yes, Daniel Nash. He rented a room from me, and him and two other men have been in that room. And I run a boarding house. They haven't come out to eat. They haven't come out for anything. I began to be worried about them, so I drew close, and I heard some unusual sounds. I opened up the door, and I saw them on their faces. And they were groaning, and they were crying, and they were uttering things. He says, oh, don't worry. They just have the spirit of travail for your city. And they're praying that God would open the heavens. And God moved so mightily that a nation was brought back to him. You know what? I'm always surprised that Christians haven't figured it out. We keep focusing on the White House and God is saying, "Uh uh-uh, I've ordained the church house to bring revival. I've ordained the church house to bring revival. Can I tell you, God is answering prayers in this house. Oh, we're seeing people be set free. We're seeing drug addictions fall off. We're seeing all sorts of miracles. The other day, someone said, Pastor, I've been given a diagnosis of having tumors all over my brain. The next week, they came in and said, it's not cancer. It's not cancer. I have good news. The truth is, Jesus was humble to pray. Jesus was humble to rely on God's word. I want you to stay with me on this. Jesus, led by the Spirit, stay with me on this, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, I want you to highlight one thing. When does the devil usually tempt you the hardest? When you've been stretched. When you're physically tired, emotionally tired, when you have a lot on you, more than you can bear, you know he's going to be there. And Jesus here is exhausted from the fasting in the physical and maybe even emotional, but spiritually he's been heightened. And we're going we're to notice something very, very important here. Watch this. The tempter came to him. If you are the son of man... Tell these stones to become bread and feed your flesh. Watch what Jesus says. And Jesus answered, it is. Come on. It is. Why am I saying this? Because as we get closer to the end times, and as the world gets closer and closer to the second coming, there's going to be more and more deception. And if you are proud in any way, or if you don't humble yourself to rely on God's word, you will fall victim to that deception. And not only is it coming from out there, but sometimes preachers get confused. And they go past God's word. And so there's this clip that I heard uh, Brother Jamie use with our young adults, and I thought it was an excellent clip. Now, I want to share with you, I don't know the entire man's message. I don't know the context of his message but I'm judging the clip and I'm saying, hey, there's something there that that needs to be corrected. And so let's take it here.
First thing, be careful with TikTok. <laughs> Second thing, what does God's word say about that? The Bible says in the book of John, in the beginning was the, and the word was, and the word was God. So when you down the Bible, even if it's a little bit, even if you're trying to just slightly change people's perspective about the Bible and say, you know, it's not as important as you think. Let, let's lower it a little bit. Let's rely on feeling. Let's rely on what your experience is. Let's rely on what's in here. Can I tell you when you're stressed, can you rely on what? Come on. When you're stressed, when you're being tempted, when you're overweighed, when things are coming against you and the fight is intensifying, can you rely on your feelings? What do you rely on? See, so it doesn't matter if I can get excited and say this or that. Am I basing it on God's word? The reason I'm preaching straight to you is because some folks get excited and go beyond what God's word says. God said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What truth do you know about Jesus if it's not based on this word? Is it because someone felt something and came and told you that Jesus was that? No, you test every spirit by the word of God. That's how you test. And so watch. If I were to say to you, you don't need Jesus alone. Quit elevating Jesus. What if I substituted when he said the word for Jesus? Because the word is Jesus. What if I substituted that? Would his teaching be correct? No. What did Jesus do when he was tempted and under pressure and being stretched in his physical state? 40 days without food is stretching. Come on. Anyone? What did Jesus do? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is it right here. Watch. Let's keep going. Then the devil took him to a high place in the holy city. Had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up. They will lift you up, right? So watch the enemy says, oh, I know the word too. What does Jesus say? I'm going to go beyond the word now. Since you're using the word, I'm going to use my own words. No. He doubles down. Watch. Jesus answered him, it is also written. 
Oh, I love you, Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, I'm not so proud to think that I'm going to make it up right there on the spot as I go. Why? Because I'm teaching my disciples something. Those that will read the word, I'm teaching them, no, you rely on God's word. Come on, can I get an amen? Can I get a witness? It'll change your heart. It'll change your mind. It'll, it'll Watch. Do not put the Lord your God to a test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this will be given you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written. How many times did he say it is written? Nope. Every time. Why did I say not three? Every time. Because if the devil tempts you four times, you say it is. If he tempts you five times, you say it is. I don't care how many times he comes to you, you say it is. And some of you are being tempted with condemnation. You need to say it is written. There is therefore. Now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Some are saying God will never forgive you. And, and you need to say God is faithful and just to forgive if only we ask. It is written. Therefore I stand on God's word. Amen. God, some of you are being told, oh, the devil, do, I mean, God does 